Thanks for tuning in to the Follow Church weekly message. Our hope and prayer is that you will find this message uplifting and challenging as we seek to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. All right, our Bible reading today comes from Genesis 26, verse 1 to 33. Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abraham's time, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees and my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister because he was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah, because she is beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, She is really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Isaac answered, Because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people, Anyone who harms this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Isaac planted crops in the land, and that same year he reaped a hundredfold, because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich, and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, Move away from us, you have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar, where he settled. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died, and he gave them the same names his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and said, The water is ours, so he named the well Esek, because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but uh, but they quarreled over that one also, so he named it Sitna. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over that. He named it Rehoboath, saying, Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. From there he went to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the Lord of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac built an altar. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent, and his servants dug a well. Meanwhile, Abimelech had come to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, his personal advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his forces. Isaac asked them, Why have you come to me, since you were hostile to me and sent me away? They answered, We saw clearly that the Lord was with you, 
So we said, there ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let us make a treaty with you that you will do us no harm, just as we will do you no, no harm to you, but always treated you well and sent you away peacefully. And now you are blessed by the Lord. Isaac then made a feast for them, and they ate and drank. Early the next morning, the men swore an oath to each other. Then Isaac sent them on their way, and they went away peacefully. That day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug. They said, we've found water. He called it Shabbat. And to this day, the name of the town has been Beersheba. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you all. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, that it is life to us. But we need you, Holy Spirit, to help so that we understand and can take this and apply it to our own lives. And we're asking, Lord, that you'd be with us in this. Amen. Fantastic. The lights are very different than the other place. So bear with me. Oh, I've got my lapel. Fantastic. <laughs> awesome. Hey, at first glance, uh, Isaac's just like any other ordinary person that you might have met in that ancient uh, Middle East. In the family lineup, he hardly gets a mention because his, fa his father and his youngest son tend to get all the limelight. He's the quiet one of the family, that quiet achiever. He's the son of an immigrant who has done well for himself. He has inherited his father's acumen for being a skilled grazier, who is also handy with a bit of horticulture, and he knows all about boars and irrigation. He's a man of the land who enjoys a bit of hunting in his spare time, and he loves a really good meal. Sounds like a Queenslander to me. He's a man of the land, who, um, sorry, he and Rebecca, have been now married for over 50 years with two grown-up sons who are more than ready to leave home. The early years were tough. They had trouble having children, but in the end, they had twin boys, very different from one another. One was tough and impulsive, and the other one more passive and calculating. Don't know what your kids are like, but they're probably not the same. Uh, they've had their ups and downs that all parenthood uh, brings. And Isaac, well, he's pretty savvy, both personally and business-wise. He knows when to negotiate, and he knows when to walk away. Despite having plenty of movable assets, he has no permanent land holdings. He and his family and his many loyal farmhands and their families, well, they're doing okay. And like his dad before him, the lifestyle and the business is one that has its challenges. They are most susceptible to drought and famine, living where they do on the alluvial plains not far from the arid desert to the south. And so he considers what his father would have done in these circumstances and concludes that he should move his family, all his family, all his employees, all his livestock, closer to the coast the coast that we would now call the Gaza Strip. It's a few days travel away, and he ends up in a settlement called Gerar in southern Israel. It's, 
in fact, right on the border of where Gaza and Israel are now. You probably wouldn't want to live there. The head of the district is a chieftain whose family have ruled the place for generations and who goes by a title, not a first name, a title, Abimelech. It's a bit like having the name Caesar or Pharaoh or president, but not nearly as important. Now, Isaac would be the first to admit that he's not perfect. And even in his later life, he is still prone to having survival instincts kick in. His wife has always been gorgeous. She's a stunner. She's a head turner and the male populace notice. I wonder if your 80 or 90 year old wife would be the same. <laughs> His father had the same trouble. And so for whatever reason, we don't know really, but he does what his father did decades before, and he adopts a ruse to save his own reputation and his own skin. But it's found out when he's observed doing things that siblings don't get up to. Then to make matters worse, the locals start agitating as his farming enterprise is now taking off in a big way. It's threatening their livelihoods, or so they think. And this leads to eviction, even though later the guy says, well, we sent you away peacefully, but no, they were evicted. And this necessitates him packing up and moving back east. Finally, he arrives where his father used to farm, the southern outpost of the Promised Land, a place named by his father and still bears the same name 3,000 years later, Beersheba. Of course, well known by Australians for the Battle of Beersheba in the First World War. And there he lives many more decades until returning, retiring to a town a few days' journey north in the hill country a place called Hebron, where he dies at the ripe old age of 180. Wow. And is buried on the family plot there, the only piece of land that's actually owned by the family. And while his father Abraham was an outgoing, traveling activist, Isaac is far more reserved. He stays in that little land of Canaan all his life, he doesn't venture over to Peru. He goes about as far as Lee is going to go out south of Druin. He's living what appears to be the most quiet life. Not much excitement, really. At least his father and younger son got a name change, but he's always been known as a bit of a laugh. That's his name. A laugh. How about having that for a name? But he doesn't mind. He just gets on with his life. Maybe that's why, though he lived longer than both his father and both his sons, very little of Isaac's nearly two-century-long life is recorded for us. And most of it happens in chapter 26. It's another typical life. It's an ordinary life by an ordinary person, an ordinary life, pretty much like ours.
End of sermon? No. But what appears on the surface is not always the way things really are. Isaac was not ordinary. He was extraordinary. Number one, for those who still in church take notes. He lived by the promises of God. He lived by the promises of God. The difference to all around him was that Isaac knew God, the one true God who had revealed himself to Abraham, and his God was a promise-making God. This theme of promise is repeated over and over through the book of Genesis, especially these middle chapters that we're going through at the moment. Promises made by God are powerful. They are reliable, enough to turn life in this world and these present circumstances to new life-giving possibilities. Promises of salvation, promises of provision, promises of guidance, promises of miracles, promises of blessing. So many promises. And for Isaac, he knew that he, in a very unique way, was the promise bearer. He was the promise bearer. He was the promised son through whom every one of these blessings would happen. What a weight on your shoulders, the promise bearer. You didn't want anything to happen to you. From the start of his life, everything was marked out by the marvelous and the miraculous. Think about it, his birth had been promised by God 25 years before it occurred, and then it was confirmed by a trio of angels who were on a fiery assignment. Some people know what I'm talking about a year before he finally arrived. And when all possible human resources had then been exhausted and only the promises could be relied upon, he was conceived and born. Born to parents who were geriatrics. Let's get this straight. His mum was 90, his father was 100. He was literally a marked man of promise as his father had circumcised him when he was eight days old, the first ever Hebrew child to be circumcised on the eighth day. And this was a sign that literally marked him out to carry that Hebrew line with its universal blessing. And around the campfire on a regular basis, he'd be reminded of how he had ended up with his name that meant a good laugh. And each time he heard laughter, he was reminded that he was a child of promise. And now he hears from God himself. Twice in this story, in this chapter, we witness him receiving and accepting God's promises for himself, not for his father, not for other people, for himself, once in Gerar and once in Bathsheba. The promises of a nation coming through him, and through that nation, all nations coming to know God. Amazing. 
And the Lord appeared to him, it says in verse 2, and said, do not go down to Egypt, dwell in the land which I shall show you, sojourn in the land, and I'll be with you, and I'll bless you. For you and your offspring, I will give these lands, I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father, I'll multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, I'll give your offspring all these lands, and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And there again, the Lord appeared to him, on the same night in Beersheba, I am the God of Abraham, your father, fear not, I am with you to bless you, to multiply you for Abraham's sake. So little wonder that the apostles recognized Isaac as being an extraordinary man. He, in the early church, was always seen as the type of Christ in the Old Testament. He was the type of Christ in so many ways. Galatians 3, let's turn, if you've got a Bible, Galatians 3. If you're not used to turning Bibles at the church, well, maybe we need to change some things. Galatians chapter 3 and verses 22 to 23. Have I got the right one? Sorry, chapter 4, 22 and 23. For it is written that Abraham had two sons. One, Ishmael, by a slave woman, and one, Isaac, by a free woman. So the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son, Isaac, of the free woman was born through promise. Promise. We'll get further why the early church recognized him as this amazing type of Christ. These promises were fulfilled in Christ. If we go back a few verses, if you go back to um, 3.18, it says, For the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? Well, it was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to know sorry, come to whom the promise has been made and was put in place. And then further on, it, it, it basically says that these were given to us. They were given to us in a very special way. And so, um, where are we? Uh, sorry, I've lost my place. And verse, verse 8 of Galatians 3. This is an amazing scripture. And it says, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. So bear with me. 
Paul labels these remarkable promises given to Abraham, repeated to Isaac, and then to Jacob, as the coming of the gospel. The good news is ultimately all about God's promises being fulfilled. That's the gospel. That's the good news. The apostolic interpretation of the ancient promises proclaimed that their fulfillment was in Christ and in his church. The promises given to Abraham's promised son were fulfilled in Jesus, the chosen son of God. The images of seed and of blessing were foundational to the way that early church, the church throughout the ages, has understood Jesus and his mission. So, just a little diversion, but an important one. Firstly, Abraham, through Isaac, was given the promise of seed. And we are told in Galatians 3, 16 to 18, that this explicitly refers to Christ. It says that the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to the seeds, meaning many people, but to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on promise, but God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. So in Christ, the seed was fulfilled. And secondly, the promise of land and worldwide blessing made to Abraham is expanded in the New Testament to include the whole earth with Jesus' future dominion involving the renewal of all creation. So we hear in Matthew 28, 18, familiar words, Jesus came and said, all authority in heaven and on the whole earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. It was fulfilled in Christ. Romans 8, 19 to 21, for creation waits in eager anticipation for the children of God to be revealed. The creation has been subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will one day be liberated from its present bondage to decay. And Revelation 21, 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among his people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be their God. People out of every nation, kindred, tongue. And guess what? We're the inheritors of these promises and we're called to live by promises. The promises given to Isaac, the promised son, are now ours through the descendant Jesus, the divine son, by virtue of our relationship with him. So we hear, I think uh, Luke referred to this last week, in Second Corinthians, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. There's no, neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male or female, we're all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. 
So what are the promises that you are living by? I want you to turn to your neighbor. I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to share one promise that's really important to you that you're living out of right now. One promise. Turn around. Go. Find a neighbor. <laughs> now, I can't hear, obviously, from a... It's just all a low hum. But do you know the promises of God? Do you actually take time to read the word and to claim the promises of God? I'd encourage you, if you're not doing it every day, to do it. Which promises are standing out for you? Are you what are you claiming? What are you taking hold of? Just as Isaac did. Secondly, as well as living by God's promises, he lived by grace through faith. Despite it being quite clear that Isaac, along with the other founding fathers, were very human. They were full of weaknesses, shortcomings. They had no moral claim on God. Yet in spite of this, Isaac and all of them were extended grace in response to their faith. What ultimately marks Isaac out was God's grace in his life in response to his faith. And like his father and his son, in spite of all those weaknesses, all those failures, they shine out as men who had faith in God. Their faith and obedience ultimately stands in contrast to those around them. And they alone are recorded alongside of these other saints later in that great hall of fame that we find in Hebrews. Come on! Hebrews chapter 11. Fantastic. The hall of fame. Go to it. It's fantastic to read. And over the last few weeks, we've seen these lines of difference. Two lines running through the human race in very stark contrast to each other. We've had Abraham and his nephew, Lot. We've had Isaac counterpointing his stepbrother, Ishmael. We've had the counterpoint last week between Jacob and his twin brother, Esau. See, these relationships progressively come closer. First, it was a nephew. Then it was a stepbrother. Then it was a twin the contrast seen in the men's wives. You haven't missed out, women. Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel had one thing in common. They were all wonderfully beautiful, and they were women who had miracles happening in their lives. Compare that to what happened to Lot's wife or the idolatrous wives of Esau, who we see just right at the end of that chapter, who vexed Isaac and Rebekah so much. You see, the ultimate picture of this faith, of course, was when Isaac was in his early 30s. He wasn't a little boy. Forget those pictures you've seen. He was in his early 30s. 
And one day his father put to him a proposition. Let's travel north for three days to the hill country, to a hill called Moriah. Well, Isaac agrees, and he finds himself three days later willingly lying on top of a pyre with his father raising a knife over him. And he didn't flinch. He had extraordinary faith in his father, who had brought him up to have extraordinary faith in God. Isaac, the submissive son, was willing to be sacrificed. And just then, a ram appears and saves the day. It says in Hebrews 11, that wonderful chapter, that Abraham considered that God was even able to raise his son from the dead, which, figuratively speaking, he did when he received him back. And so, you see why the early church recognized Isaac as that type of Christ. Not your will, not my will, sorry, but yours be done. He carried the wood as Christ carried the cross. And the ram that was given in his place is just like Christ, the ram given for the world. Now, here's a little aside. You may not know this. The lamb we are so familiar with, we just sang about, he's the lion and the lamb. That's because it sounds nice, it's good alliteration in English. But the lamb we're so familiar with was always a one-year-old ram with horns. So when John declares, behold, the lamb who takes away the sin of the world, we can read... Behold the one-year-old ram who takes away the sin of the world. Just in a little aside, like his father before him and his son Jacob after him, he showed extraordinary faith in one final way. He left in faith what he didn't actually possess. It's amazing. Abraham said to Isaac that he was leaving them the whole land Isaac said to Jacob he was leaving the whole land. And Jacob said to his 12 boys he was leaving them the whole land. But not one of them possessed what they promised. The land, as I said earlier, the only piece of land was a little burial plot. But we read much later in Hebrews 11 that all these people were living in faith when they died. They were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, for God had planned something better, like us, so that only together with us they would be perfect. What's more, Isaac, Jacob, Isaac, sorry, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are not dead. Get that. We see the tombs of their bodies in Hebron. You can still visit. But they're not dead. Jesus said that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was, not was, but is. They are alive with him. He's not the God of dead people. He's the God of the living 
people of faith. And we're called to live by faith through Jesus. No matter who you are, what you've done, if you trust in Jesus as the ultimate faithful witness, who's called faithful and true, you'll be covered by His grace. Back in Galatians 3, it says in verses 7 to 9, Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand, as I said. In you shall all the nations be blessed. And so those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, these men of faith. So I want you to turn to your neighbor again. You don't get off with me. And I want you to tell somebody around you, what are you currently believing for? If you live by faith, what are you currently believing for? And if you're not, think real quick. What would you like to believe for? Come on, let's go. Let's share it. What are you believing for? What breakthrough do you want? What are you putting your faith in God for? And if you're a 90-year-old woman, just be careful what you pray for. Thirdly, if you're taking notes, thirdly, he lived by the promise, he lived by faith, he lived by the power of prayer. How am I going? So from his earliest days, Isaac was taught and shown how to pray by one of the greatest people of prayer there ever has been, his father Abraham. This was the father who had interceded for even just 10 righteous people to be saved. He had erected altars and made them places of concerted prayer. And like his father who God called my friend and like his son, who eventually wrestled with God in prayer. Isaac was a prayer warrior. And in prayer, he listened to the voice of God and his leading, and he heard God speaking at every crucial time in his life. And whenever God spoke, he obeyed. We catch glimpses of this in his life. When he was waiting for Rebecca, his promised wife, to arrive, it records that he was out in the fields praying, praying for God's provision of a wife. And then we're told that together he and his wife Rebecca cried out to God in prayer and they were answered and had twin boys. And then when he entered the territory of Gerar and Abimelech, he heard God's voice and he obeyed. And though he stumbled along the way, his fears were overcome and he proceeded to sow and reap and sow and reap in prayer. And of course, we are called to prayer. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of God's people. So my question 
How's your prayer life? Is it vital to you? Are you meeting with Jesus in the closet every day? Are you meeting with others in prayer and seeing the Holy Ghost power move in powerful ways? Are you? Why not? Why not? Let us be like Isaac, people who set up a daily altar and call on the name of the Lord. So just three things. Isaac lived by the promises of God, and we are called to do the same. Isaac lived by grace, through faith, and we are called to do the same. And Isaac lived by the power of prayer, walking in the Spirit, and we are called to do the same. Thank you. Let me pray while the musicians come up. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the example of Isaac, so often overlooked, but a marvelous man, a marvelous man of promise, of faith, of prayer, and of the Holy Spirit. And we ask that we would be the same, that we would take this and be challenged by it. Lord, while I'm here, I do pray for Ray's mum, that, Lord, you would be with her in this very difficult time, and the family of Naomi who've lost their mum over the week. Lord, be with them in particular, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our message this week. If it stirred your heart and you would like to talk to someone more about it or pray with someone, please get in touch with us at info at follow.church and one of our pastoral team will get back to you as soon as possible. If you'd like more information about Follow and our various ministries, including weekly service times and location, please check out our website, www.follow.church. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.